I think we, we passed 40% of the web at some point this year. So it's been a really wild ride and not at all what I was aiming for. I was just here to figure stuff out because I was using something and thought, you know, hey, I guess I have the right to change it and make it better. And each step forward led me here. And so here I am today. And it's like, wow, I'm on a, like a GitHub podcast. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> That's Helen Hosandi, Director of Open Source Initiatives and WordPress lead developer at TenUp, one of the largest WordPress agencies in the world. And this is a Rebe podcast, a GitHub podcast that takes a peek behind the curtain at some of the most impactful open source projects and the developers who make them happen. I'm B. Dougie, a.k.a. Brian Douglas. And I'm Nerd Neha, a.k.a. Neha Batra. Every episode, Neha and I invite a maintainer or open source developer into our studio to explore the impact their work is making on the world around them. In this episode, we speak with Helen, who came to programming in a circuitous way. A pianist since the age of five and the daughter of Chinese immigrants, Helen got a master's in piano and, while at her conservatory, was asked to help with creating the Collaborative Pianist blog. All this was new to Helen, but she had been blogging in her spare time, so she had a sense of creating new things for the web. Once she caught wind of WordPress, she was intrigued. Fast forward to over a decade later, and Helen has become one of the world's leading developers of WordPress, a content management system that represents at least 40% of the websites on the internet. In our conversation, we spoke about her journey from pianist to programmer, how the two disciplines inform each other, and the ways in which she hopes to make WordPress relevant to a new generation of coders. But first, we asked Helen about her earliest memories of using a computer. There's this picture of me in Manhattan in the 80s at a computer as a baby. (laughs) So my dad was a, a research assistant at Columbia but uh, my first like meaningful computer experience that I can think of, we got a Windows 3.1 computer, you know, like this, the ones with like the turbo button, right? Yeah. Um, like in, in like the early 90s, playing solitaire, trying to understand like what are all these different things. But one of the first things I remember, at least that also is code related, was uh, my dad's a math professor. So he knows like, you know, little bits and pieces about programming and logic, right? So, well, a lot about logic, I guess. And uh, he's also a violinist, uh, and I'm also a pianist. So he showed me basic and how to make the, like, the little onboard speaker uh, make sounds, right? Like the ones that can just make one tone at a time, like MIDI type of speaker. And he showed me how to use basic to get it to play melodies um, by giving it hertz values and like the length of time that you wanted to play a note. So that's one of my my earliest like meaningful memories at the computer. That's so interesting. So that means that your first interaction, uh, meaningful interaction with a computer was also embedded with music as well. And they were like intertwined, right? Yeah, completely. So walk me through that. Like how did those two grow together like between music and technology? Yeah. Continue on with my dad, because um, he he learned violin on his own, self-taught, because um, he, he lived through, like, I mean, if you look at history, like a very difficult time in, in China. And uh, so he self-taught uh, the violin. And so he was just always like really passionate about like 
learning things, you know, and like driving yourself to do that. And he was really into and remains really into um, tuning systems and like the, the math, right? Like the Pythagorean theorem and how that relates to the tuning system, the musical scale that we use in like, you know, Western music uh, as it's known. Um, there's like that old cartoon, Donald Duck in Math Magic Land that talks about it. So like, you know, if people want to check that out, it's like one of my favorite things. But yeah, he, uh, he was really into just like the math of music. Uh, and I started piano like real young, I was five. Um, I was like, I don't know, it's, we call it like standard practice. But yeah, like five is young. And uh, yeah, so like I was in piano and I did my undergrad and my master's degree in piano. Honestly, like I started as a double major in computer science and music when I started college and I did not like computer science as a major. <laughs> it was, I don't know, I don't, it was a lot of things. Like I didn't really have like a great computer and I was often like the only girl, woman in class and just like sort of generally felt like compiled languages is Java at the time. And I just didn't feel excited about it, you know? So like I went into music and music's like really hard to study because you have, you get a ton of zero credit classes and they're also like one of the highest like credit count degree programs there is typically. So it would, I think my undergrad degree was like something like 120 required credits or like a lot of other programs would be like a hundred. And then you're taking zero credit classes through that. Um, so it was, it was really challenging, but it really taught me a lot about like discipline, how to be a good professional because you're doing freelancing a lot, right? As a musician. So like, how do you find work for yourself? How do you negotiate contracts? Right. And then like, you have to practice. Nobody can sit there practicing with you, like practicing as a self-directed way of doing things. And so, uh, yeah, like got through all that stuff. Despite the hard work, Helen continued studying music and went on to get a master's in piano. Interestingly, it was in grad school that her curiosity in programming was piqued. I worked in a computer lab, like as, as like my student job, and working in a computer lab mostly meant like make sure that other students aren't doing things on the computer they're not supposed to be doing and like refilling the printer, right? Um, but I did get to know some of the technology people at the music conservatory and they were like, well, like you seem like reasonably good with the computer. So why don't you try uh, making a website for the grad student association? Cause I was a VP of the grad student association. They're like, why don't you try like, you know, making some pages. Um, and they ran just like a PHP, just a plain PHP four. <laughs> uh, that's <laughs> dating myself here, but um, good old procedural PHP. Um, in that time, and they're like, here's what PHP is, here's what MySQL is, like some basic concepts around that. And, you know, having learned a little bit of Java and C++ in the past, made PHP really easy to pick up because it's really like C style, it's C under the hood. And so I was like, whoa, this is, this is actually really fun because I'm not having to deal with like compiled languages anymore and like trying to write like weird things on an operating system. I'm doing something on the web and the web is super cool, 
right? Like sharing of information. It's that instant gratification, right? Especially with PHP in that time, it's like you just save and reload and like all your stuff's there. And like understand databases, which just like sort of instantly clicked for me, which was like a really cool feeling to have been through so much music study and be like, no, you know what? I can still learn how to learn something new all over again, right? Um, and it was really exciting. And so when I finished my master's, it was like, ah, oh, I need a job. <laughs> I don't want to do a doctorate. What am I doing here? Um, and I was actually really young. I was 22 when I finished my master's and was like, yeah, I'm like super not ready to like go get it, like a really serious doctoral degree. What am I even doing here? Um, and so they actually hired me as a web developer uh, at the music conservatory. And then I, from there I got into WordPress and that's like taken me to where I am today. And it's just been really wild. Like everything's completely mixed together. So it's not just like the disciplines, but it's also like the different things that I did in my life that brought me here in the first place. What an incredible and surprising story. Helen's path to programming was an unexpected one, but also upon reflection makes a lot of sense. Studying piano was a collaborative effort. She specialized in playing with large ensembles, collaborating with others to make something beautiful. Open source mirrors that same level of commitment to collaboration. Helen now lives in Costa Rica with her husband and two children. And while most of her time is spent with programming, her husband and extended family are all musicians that continue to play together. It made me curious about her background as a collaborative pianist and how that played into her work as an open source programmer. You know, they're like discrete concepts like uh, leadership by influence. With music, like you're playing with a peer group. So like unless you're the conductor, like the director of the ensemble, you don't really just get to be like, you do the thing. You don't have like authority <laughs> over somebody else. And so it's really about like building consensus, giving everybody the context so you can all get on the same page, you know, getting everybody leading by influence, right? Not by exerting power. Um, that's a big part of it. There's also just, yeah, like the scale of collaboration, especially as a pianist. Let's see if I can explain this in a way that isn't like too deep into the <laughs> into the weeds of being a musician. But for instance, in grad school, part of my scholarship for school, my assistantship was working with five other people. That was like what I was like getting paid to do by the school. And so you have to remember like what five other people are up to and like all the things that they need to get done. And you can't just be like, okay, I'm just gonna like tunnel vision on this one thing that I want that like I really need to focus on this week. You have to be making progress across all the things all the time because the other people are not waiting for you. You still have to scale across all those other people. And open source is a lot like that. It's really rare that you get to just tunnel in on like one thing, especially as a maintainer. You're just like jumping between pull requests, trying to remember like, what pull request is this person on? Maybe they're burning out because you keep like stringing them along, giving them half-baked feedback, you know, that kind of thing. And so it's a lot of just remembering the context of all these individuals that you're working with, remembering that everybody is trying to move forward and that you can't just be like, oh, you know, I'm having an off week. So <laughs> all five of you get to suffer, you know, like it can't be like that. So. Uh, that's also a big part of it as well. Yeah, I'm so curious, especially since you've gotten this experience through getting your master's in like 
collaborating on the piano. And then even with the larger ensemble, I see a parallel between collaborating with the people that you're playing music on a small scale and like open source maintainers, the group of people who are working together. And then even with a larger ensemble, the greater open source community, right? And being able to see what's going on overall and seeing how you're impacting um, your audience. What are like the core tenets that you've taken over from music to do this? Wow, yeah, that's a great question. I don't know if I've ever really thought about it that way before. Um, For the smaller group, certainly there's that understanding of what it means to have like a private context versus like a public context. Open source itself technically is just like licensing. Somebody somebody in open source is going to get mad at me um, for saying that. But, you know, like like open source (laughs) at its base, just the term itself is really about the licensing, the user's rights, right? But like as a part of like the broader ethos is that open process part of it, right? Right, so like, absolutely. You, right, so like technically you don't have to have an open process to have something that's open source, but as a part of what we really mean, right? The spirit of the word, the phrase, um, we have this open process. And so with music, like we don't really have that as much, um, but we do have like this concept of master classes, which is like learning in the open, and so, like, you get up on stage in front of an audience and, like, ask somebody to criticize you. <laughs> it's, like, it's kind of a weird thing to think about, you know? But it, it is like that in open source as well, right? Like, you're putting yourself out there and you're, like, asking somebody to, like, criticize your code in public because that's how much you want to learn. And I think that sometimes as maintainers, like, we forget that. We forget that, like, this person's putting themselves out there. And we should respect their time and their effort. But yeah, the public part, you know, I, I think I was, I was thinking about this earlier. One of the things we don't get that is not a parallel is that the scale of public feedback that you get in open source. And I read something the other day that was like humans just like we're not meant for the scale of feedback that something like social media gives you, right? Like we just like mentally not a reasonable thing to expect from humans and open source sometimes like that can become really overwhelming because there there is nothing else like that except politics essentially that's that's where open source is like he's like oh we shouldn't make it political and it's like well first of all like open source like as a movement is political and second of all like the closest parallel to that style of work and that like scale of work is politics is public policy public works And so, you know, thinking about just like, what has it meant to learn how to receive that volume of feedback, learn what to do with that, the sheer amount of it. And then, you know, that very human tendency to like only remember the negatives where like, you might have a crowd where like 98 people out of 100 said something really nice to you. And it's just like those two people who are like being rude, frankly, but like it sticks. And you're like, oh no, <laughs> like, have I made a mistake? Am I messing up everything in my life? Just because of these like, 2% of people that say something. But that's something that's been like a huge lesson for me in open source is like, how do you deal with that? Right? Like, what, what can you even do as a person um, with all of that information? Many of us stumble our way into open source, but are hooked by the power of collaboration, critics and all. Helen's story follows that same track as well. She came upon open source by chance, having decided not to pursue a doctorate in piano. She's exploring what may be next for her. In the meantime, 
became the webmaster at her grad school. There, a pianist who ran the collaborative piano blog needed a new blog, and he reached out to Helen to build it. He emailed me one day and was like, have you ever heard of WordPress? And I was like, no, but it looks kind of cool because it can make static pages. And at the time, Blogger could not, right? And those were like her options. This was like, yeah, the, the Blogger, Live Journal, WordPress coming up era. And I was like, oh, that's kind of cool. It can make like static pages. And so I was like, okay, well, I know what WordPress is more or less, and it seems like the right choice for a blogging platform that this department needs. And it's in PHP. We run our stuff on PHP MySQL anyway, so it matches our stack. We don't have to worry about like installing new things or whatever, right? So we went with WordPress, and I promise you that this site was built terribly by me, right? Like weird plugins. We had a a single sign-on thing with like, PHP BB, I think, like the, the old, you know, forums, bulletin board stuff, where like I had no idea what SSO was. So like, what was I doing? I don't know. I, it worked, right? But <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure if I were to ever see that code again, it'd be like, wow, embarrassing. Please don't ever look at me. But yeah, we, we got into WordPress. And as a part of that, I started lightly following along with what was happening in WordPress, right? Because in order to deploy updates to the software, we would kind of need to know like when it was happening, what to be prepared for. And as I was watching like the development of WordPress, um, this was when a feature called multi-site was being merged in. And what multi-site allows you to do is it allows you to take one WordPress installation and create a network of subsites under that single WordPress installation. And so rather than just like your main website, you also could have in our case, departments, music studios, professors, deans, right? They, they could all have like their subsites and therefore their own permissions. So like you could have somebody who can update stuff on the registrar's web pages, but they can't like change the homepage. And we had recently had an incident where somebody, um, I, I think a contractor managed to wipe out the homepage by accident because we use like Dreamweaver and like direct FTP to like change stuff on the site. And we were like, how do we avoid this? And with that feature coming into WordPress, this was WordPress 3.0, it was like, oh, actually that that kind of setup makes a lot of sense for like a, a school, subsites. So why don't we draw up a plan to migrate all our stuff over to WordPress? So that was my job for like the next year, architecting like what it would mean, who are all my stakeholders, before I knew the word stakeholders. So who, who are all my stakeholders? Who are all the interested parties? What do they need? Uh, what should we make? We're not gonna try to like fully redesign it, but what can we kind of move all the content over? Who wants permissions? And so we were using WordPress. This was a turning point for Helen. WordPress was new to her, as was a practice of anticipating its evolution. I really had to pay attention to the beta, like how software cycles worked, right? And again, like this is all completely new to me. The idea of version control, new to me. And I'm learning subversion at the time because that's like what WordPress actually still uses. Um, so, you know, we're in subversion and just understanding like what is a software release cycle, you know? And like kind of understanding that in music terms, right? Where we have like our weekly cadence of lessons, you have like a, something more like a 
beta state, which is represented by studio classes where you're performing for your peers. And then you have like the launch, which is the performance. In music, a performance, there's no wiggle room there, especially if you're working with other people, right? Like you can't reschedule an 80 person orchestra because one person isn't ready. You know, I'm used to hard, hard deadlines. And so it was like, oh yeah, actually these concepts all make sense to me and started following along. And then my first contribution was in I think, June of 2011. And it was that I just saw like an, a miscolored border <laughs> somewhere in the WordPress admin. And I was like, you know what? I've started learning about this stuff. I'm curious about subversion and patches and track. Again, a thing we're like infamous for. And uh, like, what do I do with this? Can I fix it? Like, is that a thing I can do? And I remember I had read some something like on the wordpress.org site about the four user freedoms of the GPL. And again, I have no idea what any of this is, but I read it. And one of them was like the right to, you know, make modifications and distribute your modifications to other people, right? To learn, to modify. And I was like, what does that even mean, right? <laughs> so like I get in there, I make a patch. It was a bad patch because we had minified files I didn't understand that. So I'm out here like modifying minified files to get it to show up. And that was my patch, but I got feedback. I got a code review like super quick, like within a couple hours and they had merged it in within like a day. And so that was like a really exciting experience for me. And I realized that like, yeah, okay. I could downplay it by saying like, I just changed like a border color. But like, when you think about small changes multiplied by like the scale that a piece of software like WordPress operates at, even at the time, it's like, wow, you know, like even a small thing like that, that change can multiply and really like have an impact, right? So just kind of really got hooked on that. From there, um, my husband got a professorship in Kansas. Uh, and I was like, all right, well, I can't keep working for the university like remotely. Cause like at the time it like, was not really a thing that they supported and and I had started to hear about like fully remote jobs. I was like, wild. And I like, I actually really hated being in an office. Like I found it exhausting. And so after three years in an office, I was like, you know what? I'm ready. Let me just, let me just work from home. It'll be good. And uh, so, yeah, I, I was like, okay, I'm going to find like a remote job as a WordPress developer. And I did like through a random tweet applied to work for 10up, which is where I still am since so it's been 10 years. And they hired me. And like, I don't, I don't know what an agency is. I don't know what a consultancy is. I don't know any of these things, right? I'm like 25-ish, right? Um, and so I'm like, I don't know what I'm doing. Let's go, let's see what happens. And it turned out that I was like the first hire. We're like 280 people now. Uh, so that's been pretty wild to go from like <laughs> one and only um, plus the founder to like this big company. But through there, the owner, uh, Jake Goldman, and I were really like philosophically aligned on like the meaning of open source, what it can do for you as an individual learning for your company in like business terms, but also just like philosophically, right? Like we're working on WordPress sites. It's on us to help maintain that platform that we've built a, an entire business on. Like that's our, that's our responsibility, 
right, to, to the community, to the ecosystem. And we always agreed on that. And within a few months, uh, he had started giving me a few hours a week to work on WordPress itself. Um, and I was like attending like IRC chats, right? Again, <laughs> the, the time period. And uh, yeah, we, I, I don't know, people just trusted me really quickly, which, you know, I still think about all the time. It's like, wow, why did people trust me so fast? Like, <laughs> I hope they don't regret it. So people just trusted me really quickly and within, yeah, just within months, I, I had like donated time back to WordPress through my job and was running like UI meetings and efforts uh, and that sort of thing. Even though I was coming from PHP and MySQL, um, but because I'm, I'm really like particular about how things look and feel, really got into front end and UI development from there. And just, I still, I love doing all of the above really. Like it's, it's just fun to jump in and out of different things. Um, yeah, from there, I just like kept increasing my time until in 2013, I went on parental leave. And when I came back from parental leave, I just never went back on client projects. And I was full-time from that point onward working on WordPress. And uh, in, gosh, 2015, I became one of the lead developers. And there, there are only five of us. So it's a high pressure, <laughs> high responsibility. Um you know, for, for something that now I think we, we passed 40% of the web uh, at some point this year. So, yeah, it's it's been a really wild ride and not at all what I was aiming for, right? Like, I was just here to figure stuff out because I was using something and thought, you know, hey, I guess I have the right to change it and make it better. and uh, And it just each step forward just led me here. And so here I am today. And it's like, wow, I'm on a, like a GitHub podcast. Like, how cool is that? <laughs> there's something so relatable in Helen's story that there's this beauty to just following curiosity and interest. This became particularly clear to her when she moved to Kansas and thought, hey, maybe I could do even more. Pushing yourself beyond your initial comfort zone takes a lot of courage, but it often has huge rewards. I wondered, when did Helen feel like her code started making a difference? Oh, gosh, when was my code making a difference? Maybe not even a code thing. I've kind of frequently been kind of more behind the scenes. One of the earliest things that I did was I proposed CSS coding standards for WordPress. And so that's not so much my code as much as like my opinion of the code. Um, but that was one of the earliest things that I did. And I remember uh, talking about CSS coding standards and like, can we have concepts of backwards compatibility in something like CSS, right? Which does not have the same paradigms that like PHP has. And I remember Chris Coyer tweeted something one day was like, this is a really smart way of looking at CSS. And I was like, oh my God, like, what? <laughs> are you are you serious? <laughs> this person who's like WordPress book I read back in the day when I was like learning what all of this was is now saying that I have good ideas. And it was like, wow, like I could actually do something with that, right? Like I'm not just I'm not just making it up. Like maybe I haven't learned all the fancy terminology. Maybe I can't, you know, get in there and understand enough Python to make track work or whatever, but like, I can, I can get around. Like I figured it out and I can, uh, I can have like some impact on things that 
make a difference for somebody. And then in, I guess, I don't know what year is anything anymore, but I think 2014, uh, I, I was the release lead for WordPress 4.0. And what was really exciting about that release was that, you know, people went into that with huge expectations because it's like, wow, big round number, what are you going to do? But we don't version stuff that way. So like 3.9 is the same importance as 4.0 is the same importance as 4.1. Again, point of contention, but that's, that is what it is. And so, so I was leading 4.0 and people were like expecting big things. And I think at the time, like people were a little like, what are the big things, right? But there were so many small things that we put in there that were about like that delight you know, that like sort of intuitive experience. And one of them was we have OEmbed in WordPress, right? So um, OEmbeds are like a response, like from a URL. So like the way you have like open graph images and that kind of stuff. So an OEmbed response is like a rich embed response also returned sort of in the same way um, from a URL. So you can like just paste a YouTube URL into WordPress and it will embed the video. And what it used to be was that in the you know visual editor, you pay, you just paste it on its own line, don't link it or anything, and it's that way in the editor, but when you look at it on the front end, you get the embed. But it's a little of like the save and surprise thing, right? Like where you save it and then like see what happens. So we thought like, okay, what can we do about this that could be better, right? Like galleries and WordPress have a visual preview, so like why can't the embeds? And so a contributor... Um, who today works on the block editor and is just like, you know, one, one of the smartest people that I've ever had a chance to work with, came up with a way of capturing that event, like when he pasted a URL, and would capture that and turn it into a rich sandboxed embed inside the visual editor. Like, how cool is that? Right? And to most people, it was like, oh, yeah, but like WordPress was already doing the embeds, right? Like, you're just putting stuff in the, in the pretty editor. And like me as a fancy developer, I never use the visual editor anyway. And it was like, okay, well, first of all, boring. And second of all, like, how cool is that, right? That, that's just like such a delightful little thing where like you paste a URL and you get a thing that matches what's on the front end. And it just like magically became this thing. And that's really become like the underpinnings of like where our editor has gone in the years since. And like now we have this whole React REST API powered editor, the block editor, right? And it's really rich and it does these rich embeds. And so many of those concepts come out of those things that we were working on then to like match your expectations between the editor and the front end, right? To provide that sort of like instant delight, instant understanding of what you're doing, right? And that's really like, yeah, it's been several years, but that's what's been really exciting for me. And what's been so cool about actually getting to like live and breathe something for so long is that I get to see that like these things that, yeah, they they felt like relatively small, even, even if exciting at the time, but now we can see like, yeah, all these little things like really made this huge impact and it's just like changed the direction of WordPress entirely. When you look back at your work at WordPress, do you like? Do you ever take a step back and be like, you know, they're going to be actually instead of Java, they're going to be teaching WordPress in college and teach like how to construct a project that gets adoption that takes over the entire web? Do you ever like take a step back and think about that? All the time, yeah. I actually just got a ping from somebody that I owe a response to in classic form um, about like WordPress training materials, and it's like, wow. 
we've reached a point where like WordPress is like its thing to learn. And at the same time, like, I don't know, there's something about that that I also maybe don't like as much because if, if we're out here being like, you have to learn these things about WordPress, it's like, well, that means that we have things that we could improve about how intuitive it is and like what the experience is, right? Both for, for like UI users and for your developer users. Does that mean that we have something we can improve? Like almost certainly. I know like one of the things I really struggle with sometimes in that like open feedback realm is, you know, when people are like, oh, well, of course you think WordPress is great or of course you think this, right? Like you're biased toward WordPress. And it's like the people who are the most critical of WordPress are those of us who like work on it, right? Because like that's that's literally my job. It's like find all the things that are wrong with it and do something about it, right? Like I would not have I would not be doing this for work if I thought it was perfect. It doesn't make any sense, right? So um, so yeah, I think about that a lot. I hear this a lot that it's always exciting and even sometimes surprising to see the various ways the community can use and build on your work. Even more so for Helen, it must be incredible to see fellow developers seeking out ways to learn WordPress and new developers considering it early in their education. Yeah, people are like, I need to learn WordPress and I need to study it or like, you know, you have like boot camps and I see like kids in school. And so like there's some WordPress people. We have uh, WordCamps, right? So like low cost uh, local community events for for. WordPress people. But this means that you have like tracks for developers, tracks for contribution, right? Open source contribution, but you also have tracks for like content creators, tracks for designers. It's anybody who's using WordPress. And we have people involved in these events and now their kids are getting involved in these events. That's that's how old of a project we are now, I guess. It's like we have people with teen, young adult children who are, you know, really promoting the cause for getting their peers like get into WordPress to learn, to learn how to use it because it's so much of the web, right? So you're like almost guaranteed to be using it at this point, right? Like I know the GitHub blog uses it. So like getting to know it just because it's a good skill to have, being able to use Word, right? Like thinking of it in that way is always like, whoa, we're like in that same category now. And then there's also, you know, like the meaning of open source and like, you know, getting more and more young people into, into understanding that and the value of that. And the connections it can bring, the skills that it can bring you and teach you. Uh, And I just think that's also just like super cool. I love seeing like what younger people are doing. To me, like that's part of what I love about TikTok, you know, like you mentioned, but I I love seeing like how creative teens are. Like I think about like what I was doing as a teen and it's like, what was I doing? I was sitting there listening to whatever the latest Neptunes production was while playing Minesweeper on my computer, right? It's like, I grew up in Virginia Beach. So like that that's like hometown, right? It's like Neptunes, Missy Elliott, Timbaland. It's like, that's all I listen to. It's like, that's what I was doing as a teen. And now I see them on like TikTok or, or like all sorts of forums. They're creating these like, they're super funny. They're super smart with like their devices and timing and like their humor is so good without being attacky or relying on like old tropes. Like they're super funny in ways that like, are not harmful, right? And and it's like, wow, like they're doing such cool things, right? And so like encouraging them to also participate in something like open source is just like, yeah, that's what's super cool to me. It's like, I don't know, my peers, right? The elder millennial crowd, like, yeah, whatever. 
right? Like we've, we've got our own things going on. We should know more or less, you know, what we're, what we're up to at this point. But like, yeah, it's, it's the younger crowd that I'm really excited about. Yeah. And I think like, uh, in fairness, right? Like back in the day, we didn't have as many options to be as like publicly creative as, um, we wanted to today. So it's almost as though like we can see them co-evolve, right? Like the, the ability to be creative and inspire each other, the technology that enables you to do so. Um, it sounds like you're drawing a lot of inspiration from the younger crowd. How is that like, you know, affecting what you do today? Yeah, that's, that's a good question. It, it's affecting a lot about like what I'm thinking about too, right? Like, you know, what you said about there not being those forums when we were younger, like it's true, right? And and it's like, what would I have done with that if I had it? If I'd had Twitter as a teen, I don't know. I'm sure that I would have done something like incredibly stupid and like regretted it for the rest <laughs> of my life, right? Like, I think I'm thankful that those things did not exist uh, when I was a teen, right? Because I was like, I was up to a lot of dumb stuff. And so I I think about that, but it's very much that also in in the WordPress space, like there's sometimes a lot of concern about like, are people still making websites? Do people still think of WordPress as like just another blogging platform? Do people care about blogging? How can people just end up tweeting instead of blogging? I was like kind of joking around one day and was like, what if we made Twitter into like a WordPress live blogging platform where you could like pull a Twitter thread and turn it into a WordPress post? And like somebody actually created it. And it's in Jetpack, like the big like WordPress plugin. So like you can like create a blog post out of a Twitter thread. But it's like, you know, we have to be really good about thinking about what the advantages are of these platforms. And, you know, I was just talking about this this morning. What does it mean to operate as like a distributed installed piece of software in a world that is increasingly app-based, cloud-based with no concept of a file system? on the verge, right? That piece about like, you know, even STEM students have no idea like what a file system is anymore. And how can we like rethink what we're doing? Because like, we're so used to these ideas, right? We are that crowd that knows what that save icon actually means. And so like, how do we rethink like our own perspective? And how do we take something like WordPress that is so different, like it's so outside of those concepts of an app of cloud-based, right? Because you're talking about something distributed, installed, that you have to keep updated. So how do we take that and how can we make that relatable for a totally new mindset, a totally new mental model of how things work? And it, it cannot be about, we're going to force the kids to use Windows 98 for a while and understand the pain of eight characters in a file name, right? Like, no, 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 we're not, (laughs) that's not real. That's not happening. So like, how can we, as the people with experience, take that and rethink how we're approaching stuff, right? So like, how can we make WordPress make sense to people who don't think about stuff on the computer as directories, right? Who don't think about things that way because they don't need to. Yeah, I love that so much. It's like um, creating space for freedom and letting that freedom take you where you need to go, right? Yeah, absolutely. The growth of WordPress has been continuous and Helen's impact is certainly felt. There's no doubt it will surely carry in the future. Maybe the next time we meet, it'll be 50% of the web. Feel like that's been the goal. Maybe not the goal. We always like it's a it's a trailing indicator, right? We always try to like remind ourselves of that. It's a trailing indicator of like, are we doing well? But I feel like that's something we've been rallying toward 
um, as a project for so long. It's like, can we be meaningful enough? Can we be usable enough? Can we be appealing enough, right? Not just entrenched enough, but can we be good enough to hit that point? I don't know if it's gonna happen. I feel like we're kind of like hitting this point where there are a lot of things out there that are you know, a lot more compelling and they're able to be because they're hosted services, because they're able to provide things that you just cannot do because you're distributed, because you can be used on shared hosting, because of your licensing, because of your ethics. Let's take images, for example, right? So like relating back to that mental model of like, do you think of things as being in a directory? And it's like, no, people just expect to be able to like plain text search. Like they expect to be able to search books in their camera roll and get every single photo they've ever taken of a book. Can we implement that in WordPress? I, I have no idea, but like, that's the kind of thinking that we need to be pushing toward, right? It's not about like what's React, what's PHP, like what kind of application are we? It's like, can we reach that type of audience? Can we reach that kind of usability in this type of project? I don't know. I think that's a really exciting challenge for us. So that's what I'm excited about. That's awesome. Thank you. This was awesome. (laughs) I had so much fun. It was great to speak with Helen Husundi and have her on the Rebe podcast. To learn more about Helen and her work, please visit helen.blog, undoubtedly built on WordPress. I'm Brian Douglas, aka B Dougie. And I'm Neha Batra, aka Nerd Neha. The Readme podcast is a GitHub podcast that dives into the challenges our guests faced and how they overcame those hurdles. In sharing these stories, we hope to provide a spotlight on what you don't always see in the lines of code and what it took to build the technology that inspires us all. And it's great spending time with you. The Readme podcast is part of the Readme project at GitHub, a space that amplifies the voices of the developer community, the maintainers, leaders, and the teams whose contributions move the world forward every day. Visit github.com slash readme to learn more. Our theme music has been produced on GitHub by Dan Gorelick with title cycles. Additional music from Blue Dot Sessions. The Ruby podcast is produced by SoundMade Public for GitHub. Please subscribe, share, and follow on Twitter for updates on this podcast and all things GitHub. Thanks for listening. <laughs>